Remember, you can get in touch with our fearsome foursome by emailing clubdubpodcast at mail.com and through Twitter using the hashtag at clubdubpodcast. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Hi and welcome to another episode of the Club Dub Football Podcast. I'm Rob Rose and this week we're back after an unplanned hiatus to talk all things free agency as the final embers of that burn, but also to turn our attention to one of the most hotly anticipated NFL drafts in a very long time. With quarterback prospects like Trevor Lawrence headlining the players available, we'll break down where your team might be looking and what players might land in your roster in the weeks ahead. So, it's now time to be joined by PBJB and Aldrin. So, with so much to get to, let's get started. Blitz, Darnold is able to stay upright. Wow, what a play by Darnold. Wanted to go down, still going. Inside the 10 for the touchdown. There are no flags, and that is all Sam Darnold. So, hi, gents. Hello, Hello. Rob. Back talking all things NFL, and we couldn't have picked a more action-packed off-season week. I'm sure there'll be some quiet ones ahead. But as we head into this week, we'll be thinking not only about all things draft, but also talking about some of the blockbuster trades to get those high first-round picks, and also the trade that takes Sam Darnold out of New York and lands him somewhere near Charlotte. So, um, with all of the news to get to, shall we start by throwing over to our resident draft and off-season expert. Aldrin, what are your thoughts on, well, let's start with Sam Darnold and the things that have transpired over the last seven days or so. Um, uh, It kind of felt inevitable for the last few weeks, hasn't it, really, that Darnold was going to leave. I think the whole Zach Wilson talk from the last, you know, few weeks and at his pro day always suggested that the Jets were going to go and pick him if they could. Um, it didn't really seem like there was any other alternative. You know, the whole, it was um, what Douglas didn't draft um, Darnold. Obviously they've got Salah coming in as a new coach. So they're going to want to have their own kind of pick of the team and decide how they're going to um, move forward with that, you know, as an organization. So it didn't feel out of the realms of possibility. And really, I think everybody comes out a winner from it, doesn't don't they? I think the Jets arguably get to pick their quarterback of the future and still get what I think was pretty fair compensation uh, for, you know, Donald when the talk was that he was going to offer higher than a, a third round pick in future years. So I think they got what a second and a fourth and a, and a sixth this year. So I think you'd be pretty happy with that compensation. I think, you know, for, the Carolina Panthers, it it makes a lot of sense. They've not had to give up the earth for a quarterback who could arguably still turn out to be an incredible franchise player. You know, I think when he, when he came out of college and he was drafted very high, there was a reason for that. You know, the guy's got a hell of a lot of arm talent and he came with a lot of promise. And I think as well, you, it's easy to forget that the guy's younger than Joe Burrow. You know, he's still a really young quarterback. He's had a really rough ride in terms of coaches and organizational change and frankly, just no weapons or offense to speak of, particularly even a run game in New York. So I think 
he probably comes out of it happy. I think everyone's a winner. Yeah, I'm kind of broadly with you. I certainly think Darnold's a winner. I think, you know, the Jets, like you say, could have maybe hoped for more in an ideal situation. But ultimately, once they really played their hand and once everybody knew they were moving on from Darnold, it, it always meant the price was never going to be the absolute top dollar. Um, the thing I like about this, I mean, I've, I've said on this podcast, got over the last few months, what a big fan I am of Sam Darnold. The big thing for me is that, you know, what's come out over the last week is how close a lot of people believe the Carolina Panthers were to going and getting Deshaun Watson. Now, obviously, that's now not going to happen this offseason. He's going to start next season at best to Houston Texan. But it could be one of those sliding doors moments, couldn't it? We talked about it with the Colts and, and Frank Reich and how close they were to ending up with McDaniels and so on. And, and if Donald does turn into that franchise-level talent or, or maybe just cements himself as a franchise-level talent, I think we've seen the talent in flashes um, for the Jets, that could work out really well for Carolina and really well for the whole Matt Rule project. Like you say, long-term project in Carolina, young quarterback now under centre. The only person I think who doesn't win um, is probably Teddy Bridgewater. I think, you know, as much as they've said he's available for trade, what, unless the Broncos or one of these teams miss out on on the quarterback they've got their eye on in the draft, it, it doesn't really feel like there are many landing spots left for Teddy. And without that knee injury in Minnesota, how different it could have been. But, um, but yeah, I'm broadly with you. JB, your uh, thoughts on it all? Well, when the Stafford Goff trade went down, I remember we, we as a foursome had a conversation around which team won, and we kind of got into a bit of debate regarding who thought what. And I kind of agree with what Rob said. I think in this kind of scenario, there isn't necessarily a winner or loser. Each team have come out positively from it. You know, the the Jets are able to, like Aldrin has said move on get their new quarterback of the future get a guy that the gm's happy with that the coach is happy with and start to build the jets again darnold moves into a better situation in carolina than he had in new york i mean primarily just because moving to a team that has christian mccaffrey as a starting running back is a is an upgrade for almost any quarterback out there so with a decent run game with that kind of that mind Matt rule has for football behind him being free from Adam Gase will probably do wonders for Donald. I think once the trade was official, I think it was like a, maybe a matter of hours or so before the Panthers announced that they were um, using the fifth year option on Donald's contract. So they have him locked down for two years. So they have this year potentially to see what they've got. And if they like it, they've then still got another year that they can work out a new contract for him to kind of retain him. If he doesn't show anything, well, you've got a guy for two years that you can count on. And we know Darnold is, is at the very least serviceable as a quarterback. So he's not going to potentially hurt the Panthers if he doesn't finally make good on that potential that he's shown, at which point the Panthers again to echo points that have already been made haven't sold the earth and if they need to go and get another quarterback in two years they'll go and get another quarterback in two years it's the position that you just you keep going to that well until you found someone that you can count on you know the there are exceptions to it we keep talking about as everybody does the Patriots didn't draft Tom Brady to be their starting quarterback they drafted him to be the backup to Drew Bledsoe that worked out differently, but you keep going until you've got it. Look at what the Browns have done. 
and how many times the Browns went to the, the first round well for a quarterback and second round well for a quarterback before they finally landed on Baker Mayfield. So I think there's positives that can really help both teams. Baker Mayfield, I suppose, partly ironically going number one in the draft where suck for Sam was the message from those struggling teams, wasn't it? Darnold was really the um, the guy who the world expected to be taken first overall. And... Um, Yeah, how different a world we could live in. You know, the NFL, as uh, I think Dave Damashek used to call it on NFL.com. You know, how many sliding doors moments can these franchises have? But yeah, I think the, the ceiling is high for Darnold. I think the floor is not too low. Infuriating, you know, interceptions aside, and, and he's hardly the only young quarterback to have suffered with that. I think it's a great move. So Phil, my question for you then is, does this make the Panthers instantly contenders competitive playoff considerations do you think no I think the Panthers were, were pretty poor last year I don't see them having a, I mean if McCaffrey can stay fit then I'll obviously have a better season this year I don't see the Saints being anywhere near as good this year the Falcons I don't think have done much in the off season, so um playoff contention maybe but I don't see them as a, as a serious threat as an you know confident and cocky Buccaneers fan sat here um, the thing for me, I, I think the biggest loser in this, uh, well, actually going back to the NFC South, you've now got Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold, who all love throwing picks, uh, Matt Ryan, who's, who's had a rubbish year with the, the Falcons. So I'm, I'm looking forward to our uh, to the grave diggers, our secondary picking a few people off. Do you think Matt Ryan had a bad year? I thought he had a great year. Matt well, I mean, Ryan was absolutely Matt amazing. Ryan, it was their yeah, I mean, a good player on a on a pretty bang average yeah, team, I'll give you. Point. Yeah, I, I think Ryan's still got enough. I My mean, apologies to Mr. Ryan there. No, I mean, I, I think the funny thing is when you say the Carolina Panthers don't have a chance, I agree with all of your logic and just come to a different conclusion. I, I think actually, like you say, the Saints could be a bit off the pace for the first time in a long time. The Falcons, who knows? I mean, I think it would be a real success story if they're right up there with where they are presently. So I think, you know, if we imagine a world even where the Buccaneers do run away with it, well, I, I can see the, the Panthers being relevant, you know, getting in the playoffs as a, as a number two or a, or a wild card spot. I think the um, thing for me with, uh, just to touch on that, the thing for me is that because the Carolina Panthers haven't had to give up the earth this year to get uh, arguably a franchise quarterback, they're picking at number six, right? So they've got, is it six or eight? I, I can't remember, but they've got the pick of whatever player they want. You know, they could end up with uh, Kyle Trask, uh, Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Waddle, any of the kind of top tier elite players in the draft at the skill positions. Bear in mind, they spent what all of their draft capital last year went on defensive players. Yeah. So if they can, they've added a top tier quarterback, arguably, or could be, they've got a, a top 10 pick this year to choose a skill player of their choosing to supplement McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson. So I, I think they've got a real good shot of massively improving that offense. I think if they get one of those good wide receivers you've mentioned, uh, I think like you say, you know, McCaffrey is, is an absolute star. You know, I think Donald will, will absolutely shine. 
And I think you're right. I think if they get a really good wide receiver and you want them to hit the ground running in year one, don't you? Which isn't always the case. But if they can do that, yeah, I can see it happening. So if that kind of tells the story of our thoughts around the Carolina well, Panthers. I think there's something else to say here. I think the biggest loser of this trade is Joe Douglas, because I think he's done himself out of a job in 12 months time. I'll be amazed if he's still the GM of the Jets this time next year. Because Based on what? If you look at that team, sorry? What's your logic? Basically, I think Douglas is doing a reasonable job in an otherwise bit of a tyre fire of a franchise, but go on, I'm all in. No, I think if you, look, if you look at that team, I, you know, I think Darnold could be a decent quarterback. You know, everybody's saying him, him going to the Panthers, you know, could elevate them, which shows you that although he's, he's thrown some bad picks and he's had, you know, a bad time of it in New York, I think there's still a lot of potential there. And I think he's only a, a year older than um, Zach Wilson who's the, the QB it looks like they're taking. So it's not as if, you know, he, he's even three or four years older than him and, and much further down the line. So, you know, I think they could have done something with Darnold. And if you look at the picks the Dolphins got for, um for the, you know, the number three pick from the 49ers, you know, you could argue that the Jets could have got maybe even a little bit more for number two and a bit of a King's ransom. So if you look at that offense, the only starter they've added, I think, to their offense is Corey Davis. So they've got, you know, arguably he'll be their, their wide receiver one, you'd assume. But they've added uh, Tevin Coleman, you know, who's not going to be a, who I don't think will be a, the starting running back for them, but I don't know. They'll probably have a running back by committee. So I, I just don't think they've added anything that bringing in Zach Wilson or drafting Zach Wilson is, is massively going to, to improve that team. Like I, I don't see him being able to do it all on his own that they would be that much better than if they'd have kept Arnold and, and you know, used, used the number two pick as leverage to get some some stars in or some draft picks in to, to tool up a little bit more. So I think, you know, I don't see them having much better of a year this year. And I could really genuinely see him out of a job this time next year. I think your premise is based around the fact that this has to be a win it or go home year for the Jets. And I, I kind of don't think it is. I think bringing in a coach in like Salah is a, a first-time head coach who's been successful as a defensive coordinator is one of the things where it's, look, this isn't a produce immediately in the first year. This is a look we're going to build up because I think there's been enough evidence recently of you need to get your coach in to build a team and then success will come. With maybe the exception of Stefanski going into Cleveland, there hasn't really been a, a coach that's got uh, Stefanski and um, McVeigh. Those two kind of came in and did really well in their first years. But looking at the teams that they had around them, the Browns and the Rams had an abundance of talent that just wasn't performing. So they came in, got the talent, incredible talent they had going, and there was it. I think going into somewhere like the Jets, you're right. They're very sort of, they're very talent depleted. They haven't got um, an explosive star player that you would immediately look at and think oh yeah that's the guy the Jets are going to put on the the program that's the guy they're going to put on the season tickets I am just going to go with some numbers though 2 23 34 66 and 86 they are the five picks that the Jets have in the top 100 in the draft so, yeah, we're talking about, oh, the Jets could have got loads for, for the number two or they could have got loads for Darnold. They've come out of this quite well. What they have got is instead of having, oh, we've got, you know, we've got two ones and three fours and seven sixes and three 
three sevens, they've like, right, we've got two in the first and two in the third. And they are the kind of rounds where you want to have those kind of picks. You want to have that ammunition because if we have, and as we have on this podcast, talked about the draft being a bit of a gamble and, you know, you've got a 50-50 chance of drafting someone, the Browns, not the Browns, sorry, the Jets, I'm so used to the Browns having two picks in the first round. The Jets have got two opportunities in the first to get it right. And going back to an example that we talked about, if we talk about the Rams, the last time the Rams had two picks in the first round, the first pick they meant was Greg Robinson, who was a decent tackle, but kind of, I think he's washed out of the league at the moment. And the second pick was some guy called Aaron and he's done all right. So if the Jets can use one of those first rounds to get a quality player like that, I think it's a success. And I think they've got something to build on. I'm, I'm kind of with Phil's logic. And, and again, just like his previous point, I just come to a slightly different conclusion. I mean, on this pod, a month ago, I basically said what you said, Phil. You know, they keep Sam Darnold, they get a bounty of picks, they build. I think the expectation to not necessarily win now, but definitely show significant improvement on last year would have been there if Darnold had stayed. I actually think Douglas and Salah, like like JB said, buy themselves time, really. You know, they they give themselves probably, what, three years to show that they're building something capable of winning by going with a new quarterback. And I I think that clean slate, I mean, it's amazing the amount of leeway you're given if you're clearing out, and Aldra made this point, if you're clearing out players from the previous regime. You know, if you're moving out players from the previous general manager and the picks that they made, it, it does give you that little bit more leniency. But yeah, I'm, I, you know, if if I was the the general manager of the Jets, I'd have gone with your plan. I'd have kept Donald as a big fan of the guy. I'd have utilized those picks and and tried to get more starters. But yeah, it feels like they're building from the ground up, doesn't it? it? Really feels like a bit of a clear out. And you know, as much as I'm a fan of Donald, after what we saw last season, I, I don't think many people can really really complain. So if we're talking about, and I mean the Browns have come up in this a few times, kind of inadvertently. But if we've started by talking about a team like the Jets, who are ultimately perennial underachievers, really, in recent history, what about the big news then that a team that definitely isn't a perennial underachiever, a team that is, what, only two seasons removed from taking their team to the Super Bowl, no less, have really given up, well, sold the house, sold the boat, sold the car, you know, really sent themselves downstream because they clearly love a quarterback who's capable of going in the first few picks. And we're going to speculate, and I think everyone's got a pretty good idea of who that quarterback is. But anyone in our virtual room going to tell me they saw the 49ers being that bold and doing that much to get themselves that high in the top 10? It's weird, isn't it? Because they've said that that Garoppolo is definitely going to be their starter. Or, or they, you know, I suppose that's what you'd say, even if you wanted to trade him to try and get as high value. But it's, it's a strange one. The Patriots, they talk about still circling around for Garoppolo, but what's the point of getting Garoppolo if you've got Cam Newton and then the, the potential to to draft one of the top, you know, five to ten quarterbacks in the draft? You know, presume they might might uh, want to take someone who'll start by the end of the season there. So, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one, unless they really are committed to Garoppolo this year and letting whoever they draft. that You know, maybe whoever they draft they don't think is ready and they want them to sit behind... Um, you know, sit behind Garoppolo for a year. But you think with the number three pick, 
you assume Trevor Lawrence goes one and then Zach Wilson goes two. You know, it was always or for a long time, Lawrence or Fields in terms of who'd go number one. So um, you you think Justin Fields would be the next one to go at number three, but then it doesn't sound like the 49ers are, are too hot on him. So, you know, could he then fall to you know, the the Falcons at number four, for example, because, um, and I know I'm getting a little bit off topic here because, you know, I think he's he's a Georgia boy or he's played in Georgia at college. So, you know, that's a really good fit and, and it all starts to, to work out quite interestingly. But yeah, I was surprised to see the 49ers trade up. I don't think it was their biggest issue. I don't necessarily think that Shanahan is brilliant with, with bringing on quarterbacks. If you look at some of his um, past history and records that they've had, um, but we'll see what happens. It's, it's certainly going to be interesting. I've only got a few bits to add to your point before I throw it at the other guys. I think, firstly, I think you're right. I think they're looking to draft somebody and give that rookie a red shirt season, you know, to just sit behind Garoppolo and learn. And part of that is exactly what you said. I think it's Shanahan. And I don't think he's bad with young quarterbacks or bad with quarterbacks at all, but he runs such a complex system. You know, even his calling and his play court, it's so complex that I think to imagine you could get a rookie into a first-year starting situation is is a tough one. Having said that, I mean, you know, has Garoppolo even played 16 or what will it be, 17 games this season ever? I mean, he's so injury prone that maybe that's a decision that will be taken out of their hands. But yeah, I mean, Trey Lance is kind of the name, isn't it? And they must really love him. Uh, I mean, like I say, you know, it, it, it was a name that wasn't really one that was around three, four, five months ago, who all of a sudden could find himself in a great situation akin to Mahomes in Kansas City, you know, with a really good offensive-minded head coach who can do great things. But, yep, feels like another long-term pick. So um, uh, who wants to go now? Aldrin, do I throw over to you next? This trade, again, I know we have not touched on it, but I think this is a brilliant trade for everybody. You know, we didn't talk about Miami in all of this. Miami have traded out of three, gone down to 12, and come back up to six. I think for them, that's really smart business. You know, they're, they're obviously happy with Tua. In, in so much that he's clearly going to be the starter this year. They've traded out of three for what was a King's ransom and then moved up for a little bit, you know, taken a little bit of that money away, uh, capital away rather. But, you know, they're back up in six. They're picking, you know, again, like I was talking about with Carolina, they've got their pick of probably, you know, Jamar Chase or... Um, Kyle Pitts or, you know, one of those elite players. So they've, they've not really had to give up too much to come back into the first, you know, into the top 10 and, and get a player of their choosing to supplement to his development and give him some more weapons. So uh, on that side of things, I think it's brilliant from the 49ers. I am, I was a little bit surprised that they've moved up quite so high. I mean, I'm, you know, I've I watched a fair bit of college football and I've seen a, a bunch of these guys. I'm not massively high on this draft class of quarterbacks as some people seem to be this year, but it seems like arguably you could have four quarterbacks going in the first four picks for the first time. I, I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's the talent in this draft that there has been in previous ones where that hasn't happened. Um, but I think, like you said, they seem to have fallen in love with a quarterback now really if you're picking three Justin Fields is the player I would be taking I think he's a a real top level talent I think he's got all of the attributes that you want in terms of his ability his toughness I think if anybody saw the 
the Ohio State Clemson game where he played, you know, the presumptive number one Trevor Lawrence off the park after having a massive hit to his hip and was, you know, pretty much sidelined for half the game when he he took that hit, came back and and threw, you know, six touchdowns in that game. So I, I think he's the guy that if I was picking at three and I'm assuming that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson have gone one, two, he would be the guy that I would choose. Now there's been, I don't know. He seems to have, his kind of draft stock seems to have fallen over some chatter recently that, you know, he doesn't get past his first read, but you know, arguably it's not his fault. If the first guy he looks at is open and he's throwing six touchdowns in a game, I don't think that's a, a fault in his game. And I think again, if you go back to, some of the big games last year that he played uh, against Clemson and against Alabama, I think arguably his best game was against Alabama when they got slaughtered as a team, but he played brilliant. And then people question his desire. You know, the guy was petitioning for college football to return and then to, you know, to get back to playing games. I don't think you can question the guy's commitment to wanting to be great when you're going out petitioning to play football. Unlike some, you know, you're talking about Jamar Chase, well, he's opted out of the season. You know, there's a lot of top tier talents that opted out last year. And, you know, Justin Fields was one of the guys advocating for college football to be back and for him to be playing. So he would be the guy that I would pick. Trey Lance, if I'm honest, is I think the guy that they're going to go for. He seems, when they made that draft trade, the only guy whose um, pro day you'd seen was his. So, you know, it was him or Trevor Lawrence. I think maybe Matt Jones had had his first pro day, but if I'm honest, if you watch that, it was garbage. I wouldn't be picking him off that. So I think the thing with Trey Lance is, and the reason people are so intrigued by his skill set is, you know, he's had such a small sample size, played 17 games total, only one game last season and 16 the year before. But he's come from a system at North Dakota State where they play a very pro-ready offense. You know, obviously, Carson Wentz is the last guy that came out of that scheme, and he was pro-ready straight away. Um, So even though his sample size is really small, they do a lot of NFL type quarterback skills that potentially some of the other guys don't have to do. You know, he, he dissects things at the line. He's doing calls in the huddle. He's moving, you know, play calls and all this kind of stuff. So he's doing NFL caliber things. And then his physical traits are just off the charts. I think if you look at him, if you look at some of like the sample tape from him and there's not a lot admittedly, but he runs like the closest person I can suggest is probably Cam Newton. You know, he's a big bodied guy, but he's got a hell of a lot of pace when he gets up running. And, you know, he's he's done a lot of that RPOs in college and designed runs. And there's lots of that. So I think the reason I think the 49ers go for him is that they've talked about Mac Jones being, oh, yeah, you know, really exciting. The type of quarterback that Carl Shanahan wants it's. Matt Jones is just a poor man's Jimmy Garoppolo to my mind. You know, he's not got a big arm. He's not great moving. He's not going to enhance the playbook. I think you throw Trey Lance in there and you've got a quarterback that is skilled, talented, can throw the ball, can do all the NFL type things, but also he adds a completely different dynamic to your game. You know, you can do these designed runs. You can move him around. You can do lots of other things to enhance that playbook. And obviously Rob, you talked about, the complexity of his playbook, if you can maybe simplify that down, but add extra elements to it, you know, designed runs and all this kind of stuff. 
that Kyle Shanahan offense suddenly becomes, you know, incredibly scary. So I, I think Trey Lance is the guy that you need to sit for a year. Really, he's going to have to, you know, build up experience that he hasn't got in college like some of the other guys have. But I think year two and beyond, he probably offers the most intrigue and upside over somebody like a Matt Jones who might come in and be slightly more pro ready, but arguably, you know, doesn't move the chains any better than anybody they've got on the current roster. So, so JB wanting to get your point, and I'll, I'll, give you a starting question maybe and you might find your way back to similar points to Aldrin do you think this plan then I mean you know good teams don't get high draft picks you know and the 49ers are, at the moment are in that bracket even after an injury hit season last season so do you think that the 49ers are looking at if we think it is Trey Lance this red shirt year this ability to mold him as a way of staying competitive long term you know they're thinking Garoppolo is you know not exactly a you know, below par starter when we can keep him fit and healthy. Do, do you think that's the 49ers? It, it feels different to the rebuild in New York with the Jets, right? Yeah. I, to to kind of piggyback off Phil's point around Joe Douglas and the Jets, this to me was the much bigger, like swing for the fences, push everything into one moment thing. Um, interestingly enough, I like while I agree with a lot of what Aldrin has said there, I'm really leaning more towards them going for Justin Fields. And I don't have anything more than that other than I just think that's what they'll do. So I could be way off with that. Um, and as sort of as, as everyone's been talking, I've kind of been racking up a couple of things in my head. I think Phil made mention of the fact that the 49ers didn't really kind of commit to Garoppolo this year. And I think what they said was Jimmy's our quarterback this year. And they were, they, it wasn't, he's our starting quarterback. He is our starting quarterback this year. And that is not a lie because. Where did I leave? That is not a lie. Uh, so I don't think so. They, they haven't lied with what they've said i think the goal is bring in a red shirt quarterback someone that can sit and like rob said learn carl shanahan's system we saw in the pre-show stuff they did when the falcons made the super bowl that connection between Kyle shanahan and matt ryan which i think was also the year ryan was the mvp proved just how effective that system is once you've got your head wrapped around it and yeah you need a season to wrap your head around it um, I think to to kind of answer a point that Robert also raised about Garoppolo's durability and Garoppolo's availability, Garoppolo has played 16 games in a season once. That was the 2019 season when he went 13 and three and the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. Otherwise, obviously, his time in New England was backing up Tom Brady, which is very rare you're going to play. Otherwise, it's always been short games because he's been injured. Now, Garoppolo's record is still pretty good. 2017, he went 5-0. 2018, he went 1-2. 2019, he went 13-3. and And last season, he went 3-3 three and three before he was injured. That's not a terrible record for a starting quarterback. However, it's all truncated. It is all, yeah, he was doing really well, and then something happened to derail him. And that's where I think the 49ers are coming from. I think... 
much like a lot of people, they have kind of pegged Garoppolo as, yes, he's really good when he's on the field, but he's not on the field often enough for us. And the deal that they signed him to in sort of the 2018 preseason, the five-year deal, the guaranteed money was in the first three seasons. So that would be 18, 19, 20. They don't owe him anything. So at the end of this, if they come away from thinking, right, we have our quarterback of the future who is now sat and we have marinated him and we have prepared him ready for the big show next season. Jimmy, would you be interested in still staying with the 49ers and functioning as the backup? And if Garoppolo is happy to stay with the organization, I think they'll work something out. Garoppolo may not though. Garoppolo may want to be like, no, no, I'm going to go test free agency and see if I can land with someone. And knowing how the NFL rolls, there will be people who will be looking for quarterbacks at the end of this coming season. To go back, I think, to what Rob's original question was, and I think I've said it, yes, this is absolutely not a Jets-style, Browns-style, Titans-style to a degree, rebuild from the bottom. This is a, right, we are one piece away that piece is the quarterback, and we need to go and get that quarterback. There's a remarkable thing. Right? I mean, firstly, again, a bit like Phil has his bias with the Buccaneers, I'll say I think the NFC West has got a really good chance of being a very competitive division for the next few years. I mean, I know people talk about the troubles at Seattle at the moment, but they've still got Russell Wilson, and, and that's absolutely the ace in the pack you want. Um, it, it, it does seem bizarre. A few of you said it. I was absolutely gobsmacked, to be honest, by the trade. I think... I think there'll be more um, on the back of your point, Phil. I think lots of people are saying the Falcons take a quarterback at four. My gut feel is I don't think they do want to take a quarterback at four, but I don't think it hurts them if other people think they might. Uh, I think that probably gives them the chance of, you know, getting some draft capital. I think you look at players like Kyle Pitts. I mean, there's a few players outside of the quarterbacks in the top 10, undoubtedly going to go top 10 that people are very high on. And I think some of those players could be really good for Atlanta with, with where they are. Um, but yeah, really, I mean, I keep coming back. They must, whoever they've got their eye on, I, I, I'm with you, Aldrin, I think it's Lance, not Fields, based on timings and, and the things that are coming out. They must really like the guy. You know, like Dave Gettleman liking Daniel Jones, really like the guy. You know, they, they clearly, whoever it is, they've absolutely got it in mind. So if that gives us our little bridge to come to the draft more generally, and I mean, look, the last five minutes we've kind of been talking largely draft, I suppose. Um, a mention of marinating, uh, I mean, that's not used enough as a metaphor when talking about professional sports. Um, but let me just set something up and then let you guys roll. Aldrin's made this point, but I absolutely agree. If you're looking at four QBs going one, two, three, and four for the first time ever, this doesn't feel like the class where that should be happening. You know, I mean, you've got to go back to what, is it late 70s, early 80s, where you had Marino, Elway, Kelly, and Ken O'Brien, I think, who were four quarterbacks who all went very high. Three of those ended up in the Hall of Fame, and I think poor old Ken O'Brien could absolutely consider himself in the Hall of Very Good. You know, four players who went on to have really stellar careers. I mean, I think there's going to be some hits and misses in this draft. I'm with you at the Mac Jones thing. I don't get at all. And actually having looked at pro days and films, and I'm not a big college football fan. I'm doing this retrospectively as many NFL fans will. Um, I was amazed, right? So if you go to the Notre Dame fighting Irish, 
they've got a quarterback called Ian Book, who when I watch his film, I think he's actually a quarterback playing really well in a really bad team. You know, the, the kind of thing that doesn't get you noticed in college. So Ian Book, I'd probably say in my mind, based on the little film I've watched, I put ahead of Mac Jones, Ian Book is expected to go undrafted. Most mock drafts I look at have got Mac Jones going, if not top 10, then top 15. It just seems like there are so many swings and misses. It doesn't feel like the caliber's there at quarterback. But Aldrin, what am I missing? Because the NFL obviously thinks I'm wrong. No, I think you're bang on. And Mac Jones is one that has just baffled me beyond belief. Because if you go go back three, four weeks, Mac Jones is predicted to go third round, second round at most. And then all of a sudden he has two pro days, neither of which, if you watch him, are any good. You know, he's not throwing one I've bombs. Seen yeah. I think, you know, he, he throws the ball all right. I, I think really helps if you play in Alabama with what Jalen Waddle and um Devontae, what's his name? Um Devontae Smith. Smith, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you you're playing with two of the best wide receivers in the league, one of the best running backs in the league behind the best line. Like, I mean, I'm not being funny, but a lot of quarterbacks at college level could play really well in that scheme. And, and admittedly, Mac Jones has won games and he's played fine. But And then all of a sudden, the last three weeks, all this buzz is that, you know, the 49ers are falling in love with him. Everybody's falling in love with him. He, he could go top three. And I, 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 I don't get it. I, I think my thought coming into the last college year was that Trevor Lawrence was going number one, Justin Fields was going number two, and then you'd be looking a long way down to find another quarterback that would get drafted. I, I Genuinely, I thought you'd see two top, two top tier quarterbacks go in the top 10, and then that would be a lot. I think Zach Wilson had a really, really good year, right? But if you go back and look at his 2019 tape, it's not particularly good. He, he didn't have a very good year. He's had a phenomenal year in a COVID year, but he plays for BYU. So, you know, he's not playing against the best competition. And admittedly, I've watched his pro days and I've watched some of him in college and he, he throws a nice ball. And he, he the thing with him is he throws really well, you know, moving out of the pocket and those kind of off kilter plays that people seem to love at the minute. You know, the Mahomes type, the Russell Wilson type throws that you see falling down, throwing the ball 50, 60 yards down the field. So he does throw a nice ball and, and he plays really well. So I think that kind of makes more sense. But yeah, the whole Mac Jones thing, I just, I, I don't get it. I think there's way better prospects in the draft. And I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of misses. And I think the 49ers could be, you know, they, they've got to love Trey Lance and you've got to hope that the the potential that you see in him, which you've got to be honest, is potential. He's played one college year, 17 games total. You know, you've got to hope that he's got the ability to realise that potential, otherwise you're out of a job. But if I was picking a quarterback, I'd only be picking two. I think Trevor Lawrence is a sure thing. You know, he's been a sure thing since he started high school, let alone college, let alone coming into the NFL. And Justin Fields, I think, is a, a top tier player. I think you look at his physicality, he's kind of like Dak Prescott. And I think we all know how well he does and how important he is as a, a franchise quarterback. But yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of misses. I think there's a, there's a potential in this draft class for a lot of hits as well further down the draft. I think, you know, you've got an awful lot of good offensive tackles, which if you're 
our teams, so the Colts and the Steelers, you're thrilled that there's going to be a plethora of potential left tackles, maybe right tackles lower down in the draft. So I think you'd be quite happy with that. I think there's a good number of cornerbacks. So again, you'll be pretty happy that there's there's some top tier ones, although admittedly lower down the draft, you're not looking great. But wide receiver, I think you're overburdened with. So I think anybody can find a good one this year. Certainly if you're picking in the top 20, maybe, I think you get a really elite type player. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like. I'm just looking at um, Peter Schrager's mock draft that was released today. And with pick number five, He's got the Bengals taking Jamar Chase. He's obviously, you know, a top tier wide receiver, it looks like. And he's got him taking Chase or got the Bengals taking Chase off the back of Chase having a, a season with Joe Burrow at LSU where, you know, he racked up 84 catches, 1,780 yards and 20 touchdowns. But, you know, I saw a pretty funny meme that basically said if, uh, if the Bengals draft Sewell, you know, Burrow will have time to throw to someone. If if the Bengals draft Chase or one of the other wide receivers, you know, they're never going to get the ball because Burrow will already been smashed behind that offensive line. Like, I, I don't see the Bengals not drafting Penny Sewell, you know, left tackle, well, probably left tackle, if if, if not, then right tackle. But, you know, I, I just think that's a, a pick that they can't miss up on. You know, I think I agree. if they... Take... I, I kind of agree, but they they've got two tackles in free agency and they paid them pretty handsomely. So you've got to be fairly comfortable with the guys you've picked mm. up. I, I, I Don't get me wrong. I think if they don't pick Penesil, then they're absolutely bonkers, but it's not without, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they do pick a skill player. I think because Jamar Chase, arguably beyond Trevor Lawrence, I would say is the best player in this draft. So See, I, I like Pitts and 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 Water from what I've seen, but but I will say to to your point, Phil, about um, Schrager bombs mock draft. Peter Schrager does very creative mock drafts. Mm. So if you're looking at the one I'm looking at, I think he had the Cardinals trading away next yeah. season's first round pick to get Kyle Pitts, right? Which is never going to happen yeah. in a million years. But I like the fact that Schrager just doesn't, you know, run the numbers one through thirty-two. Mm. You know, he, he does things with his mock drafts that others don't. But I think. Um, I mean, the big question for me, and I know we've kind of moved away from it slightly. Firstly, let's mention Trevor Lawrence, right? Because for all the quarterbacks we've mentioned at 2, 3, potentially 4, 10, 15, or, or whatever, Trevor Lawrence at the Jags is a dead cert for a reason. He's absolutely brilliant. But I mean, so much of this draft does depend on whether those quarterbacks really do go that high. I mean, if they don't, do the Broncos or the Patriots pick up one of these guys further down? I mean, how much of this is a smokescreen? how much of this is really going to play out is surely where the, the real draft mystery is, isn't it, JB? See, that's where I'm kind of sat at. And kind of I had an answer and a point to go around your original question, but I think I want to come back to that and we'll deal with this bit first. I cannot imagine a scenario where the Jacksonville Jaguars do not pick Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence threw at his pro day before getting shoulder surgery because Urban Meyer suggested that it would be a good idea for him to do that. If the Jags aren't taking him, that is the biggest bluff in the history of bluffing ever. It's back to Schrager's mock draft as well. He basically said if, if the Jags weren't taking Trevor Lawrence, 
Urban Meyer wouldn't wouldn't have left the Fox Sports studio. So I think that's a nailed, as yeah. nailed on as it was that the, the Colts were going to take Andrew. Yeah. And I, I think we are correct in kind of that the Jets will take a quarterback and the 49ers are trading up to take a quarterback. After that, I think it all depends, like it all depends on what the Falcons do. And part of that, I think, comes down to who of the four we have talked about that are potentially those first three picks is available. Because let's say the 49ers take Lance and the Falcons absolutely love fields. The Falcons will then be dealing with, okay, do we want to pass on this guy for something potentially next year? Or do we want to take this guy? I read um, uh, kind of a piece on the Steelers website this week where it's like the asked and answered where fans send in questions and, and the guy answers them. And kind of one of his answers basically came, if Najee Harris is available at the 24th pick, I would run that pick in as fast as I could as the Steelers. Yes, the Steelers have needs at tackle and things like that, but Harris should absolutely be the pick. Now that's, that's an opinion. I'm not necessarily saying I agree with it or disagree with it, but I think, for so many teams at the moment, it is that carry on effect, that knock on effect of right. Who is actually available versus who do we need Um, to go back to Rob's first point around? Is this the year? Is this the draft class where four quarterbacks potentially go one, two, three, four and bear, bear with me. We're going to go back in time for one of my favorite things to do and talk about history. And we're going to go all the way back to 1999, which I believe is the last time three quarterbacks were picked. One, two, three. And anyone tell me the names of any of those quarterbacks? 99. Um... And obviously, as we're doing this for radio, we'll speed up and not give Rob the time to answer it this time. But the order went... Cleveland Browns picked Tim Couch, the Philadelphia Eagles picked Donovan McNabb, and the Cincinnati Bengals picked Achille Smith. Now, looking back now to that draft, would you put those quarterbacks one, two, three? No. Donovan McNabb, I think. Yes, went on oh, that McNabb is the He's most the one, successful out of those. Yeah. I mean, the Browns the also killed Couch. I mean, I'm not sure yes. it was necessarily Couch's fault, but yeah, I get your point. But- yeah, let's go. Let's go back one more year from that. Let's go back to 1998 when the big battle was: Do the Colts with the first pick of the draft take Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf? Again, nowadays it was obvious that you take Peyton Manning. He was one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. But the fact is, at the time, the serious debate was which of the two of these is going to be most successful. Even that's even more recently than that when it was going to be, is it Goff or is it Wentz that the Rams take? The the hype for both of those two seemed to come out of nowhere. That was a year where the draft class was, oh, there's not really any quarterbacks you think would go quite high. And then as we got through the combine and pro days and got closer and closer to the drafts, it suddenly became, who are the Rams taking number one? Is it Goff or is it Wentz? I think this hype around quarterbacks because it is arguably the most important position on the field is always something that's going to be no matter how poor potentially a draft class can be received as we get closer and closer to someone being on the clock the hype for quarterbacks is gonna is gonna build up so 
yes, I can kind of believe this is the first year that we get a one, two, three, four, because this year we've actually got four, five, like six potentially that we could talk about going in the first round. Oh God, if Davis Mills goes in the first round, I think I, I, I'm not sure I can watch any of the other days. I mean, the, the, the point, and it's only a quick counterbalance. If you look at the real hits over the last three years, four years, five years, I'm going back actually in total. So Deshaun Watson, um, Lamar Jackson, and Patrick Mahomes. Well, none of them went first overall or anywhere near first overall in, in essence. I mean, Deshaun Watson was, was obviously higher than Lamar Jackson and so on. But ultimately, as much as we're saying there could be some real swings and misses at the top of the draft order, it's not a perfect science. Well, Aldrin's made the point, and I kind of made the point, although I'm reaching a bit maybe for Ian Book, is there a value pick in this draft that, you know, actually, I, I mean, Lamar Jackson, did he go with, was it the second to last pick in the first round or the last pick in the first yeah. round of the Ravens trading up, something like that? Yeah, he traded back I mean, in. I mean, you rewrite that draft, I think Lamar Jackson goes first, doesn't he? Or, or goes first, second, third, you know, that, that kind of realm. I mean, the only weird thing is for me in this draft is when I said, is the value Aldrin shaking his head? Because after those first four, five, some people are predicting Davis Mills goes in the second out of Stanford. But then the next quarterback pick on a lot of mock drafts is like, you know, third day. I mean, there, there, are, there are a lot of people going undrafted. There are a lot of people at these big, you know, top tier colleges who are going in round five and six who clearly the world just hasn't got on board with and hasn't got excited about at all, have they? Well, I, I think one of the one of the key things I think you've talked about there is successful high-ranked quarterbacks uh, recently. And just these are the these are the last eight first picks, number one. So going back in, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Jadevian Clowney, and offensive tackle Eric. Fisher and I'm looking at that and kind of saying well you know what there's three there out of those eight that I would say are for now first round caliber people and that's Murray Mayfield and Garrett I don't think Goff was worth the first I don't think Winston was and we have seen Winston play live and two of us have made a bet on whether he's how many interceptions he's going to throw. And that started with the very first throw of the game. Um, Clowney's never really amounted to, no. to the hype and Fisher has turned into a serviceable tackle, but you don't want a serviceable tackle with your first round pick. Burrow is the, the X factor because I don't think one season where he got injured part of the way through it is enough to judge him. It's, it could be anything. And we we talk about Phil's absolute favorite NFL player in the history of the NFL ever, the the legend of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, Thomas Brady. Um, Brady went third day. No one expected him to amount to anything. So we're talking about, you know, these are these players like Kyle Trask might not go in the in the third or the fourth, but we could be we could be sat here this time next year saying God, man, I wasn't expecting it, but Kyle Trask really followed on from um, Justin Herbert in terms of outstanding rookie quarterback performances. And Herbert's a great example because who saw that coming? 
well, well, the Chargers picked him high enough to to probably suggest they did. But you are right. I mean, he he was absolutely the shock. I mean, two quick things again from me, and I'll move aside. Joe Burrow, I'm not sold on at all. Uh, I I don't see what people saw. I saw some really nice little, you know, first year starts and first year plays from a rookie quarterback who was ultimately fighting hard in a really talent free team. I just never saw him do anything like what I saw out of Herbert. And also, I mean, God, Phil gets to be biased enough on this podcast. You've just named whatever it was, the last eight first overall picks. For me, Kyler Murray is head and shoulders above every other name that you mentioned. You know, you you go back. For me, I think Kyler Murray is an absolute game-changing talent in, in Arizona. I think what he'll do this year will probably outstrip what he did in years one and two. I love the fact that that we've got Murray under centre at the Cardinals. Um, I quite like, you know, Wentz, Goff, Winston. Winston was the, um, God, I'm, I'm going to end up talking about a backup quarterback in the Los Angeles Raiders if I'm not careful on it. But but Winston, obviously, with, with um, you know, that that hype around who was going to go first that year as well. I don't know. I just, I, I think the difference here is we're talking about the guy who goes number one being a an absolute superstar, aren't we? I, th- I think probably being the best the best draft um, prospect in in a decade, really, with Trevor Lawrence. But yeah, I, I do wonder whether the rest will fall. And that's the beauty of the draft, isn't it? You know, the, there's no science to it, and some very smart people are made to look very silly, you know, when they draft certain players. I think that was going to be my point that you just touched on there, is that out of all of those names that JB talked about, you know, they were all, you know, rated highly coming out of college, but none kind of the level of expectation or hype of Trevor Lawrence. And like you say, that kind of, when they call them sure things coming out of college, I think he's as near to it as you had when Andrew Luck was coming out or prior to that Peyton Manning. So I think, you know, you get one of these types of players once every 10 years. And I, I can't see anything that suggests that Trevor Lawrence isn't an absolute stud at the quarterback position in the NFL for years to come. Um, to your earlier point about, you know, where the draft kind of sits in terms of value. I, I'll go back to my earlier point. I think there's two quarterbacks worth taking if you want them to start and be serviceable this year. I think everybody else is a risk, including Zach Wilson. I'm I'm still not sold on him. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's difficult because I don't, I'm not as hyped about this quarterback class as a lot of people seem to be, or certainly that seem to have rocketed up mock drafts and people's thinking. But um, but if if Zach Wilson does go number two, I have a question for the group. Who's the last BYU quarterback to enter the league? And Phil, don't be Googling because I know what you're like. I, I mean, the obvious thing to there is going to either be Steve Ooh. Young or Jim McMahon. I'm thinking way more recent. Uh, it was a starter last year. And he was at BYU, honestly, for about seven years because he had so many injuries and he kept missing years. But come on. Top tier starting quarterback last Top year. Top tier starting quarterback last year. Well, I'm, uh, okay, I'm doing him a real... <laughs> I'm bigging him oh, up. Oh, it's, um, it's thingy at the Saints, isn't it? Taysom Hill. Hill. Yes. Taysom Hill, the last BYU quarterback to enter the league. So there you are, Phil. There's your quiz of the week. I'll do it for you. Nicely done. Well, we're fast running out of time anyway, and quiz of the week may have to 
carry over next week. But do, do you know what? For all the smart chat, and I don't know, maybe I don't sound half as smart as I think I do. For all of these points I make about who I think is going to be a hit, who I think is going to be a miss, how can these GMs pick certain players? I think two or three years ago, I was absolutely astounded when the Buffalo Bills picked Josh Allen. And I couldn't believe that with a top 10 pick, they picked a guy who just looked as rough and as ropey and as poor mechanically as he did. And everyone kept saying, oh, he's got this massive arm. He's got this arm talent. He's the kind of player you can develop. And he just had bust written all over him for me. And I tell you what, you redo that draft again. And I think, you know, Allen went, what, two spots before Rosen, something like that. And I think, God, look back on that historically, and I don't think I'd feel quite as smug about the Cardinals grabbing Rosen at 10. I mean, you know, what they turn into, what they grow into in an NFL system can be a very different thing. But I tell you what, I mean, we've obviously got, you know, the draft going to be dominating both before and after the draft. We'll probably dominate the podcast for the next few weeks. But nice that we've mentioned, you know, Sewell and Pitts and Waddle and others. But let's absolutely come back to those other positions outside of quarterback in future weeks, because I think there's an awful lot we can mine for there and talk about. But um, as we kind of get to the point where we're wrapping up, any final thoughts on, should we say, what you'd want your team to do when it comes to the draft? So, JB, you've kind of touched on what you want the Steelers to do. I thought you were going to be all over. Let me look at my notes. Carlos Basham, the premium edge rusher in this draft, coming out of Wake Forest. I, I thought he had Steeler written all over him, but you say no. no. See, so let's I, start with you and tell me what the Steelers need to do in the draft. So I, a lot of people, a lot of Steelers fans are talking about the need to get, uh, to get a rusher. But I think we've got uh, TJ Watt, who if anyone, if the Steelers ever considered trading, I would fly to Pittsburgh and fight anybody who attempted it. And I think they're quite high on Alex Highsmith. I think mm. a, a rusher, to spell in for either of those two is probably what you're looking for. And I think that's a round two, three, four kind of situation for me. I would love them to spend it on a tackle. I think we need like Villanueva hasn't re-signed, but he hasn't re-signed anywhere. So I think the potential is always there that they'll bring him back, but he was always better as a pass blocker than a run blocker. And I think the Steelers want to get back to that run heavy run first kind of offense. That's brought them so much success that kind of leads me to believe that if Harris is available, they'll take him. And I, I, I can't really see past that because like Saul's not going to be available. I don't think many of the kind of the high, the high value tackles will be. So it might be Harris and then get a tackle or, or something in the, in the next round. Yeah. Saul being gone seems, seems almost a certainty. So you heard it here first. JB's happy to have the second best what brother doing all of the pass rushing and then you'll just pick up a tackle in round two or three. So what do the Colts need to do, Aldrin? Before we hear Phil talk about cornerbacks for Tampa Bay, what, what do the Colts need to do? Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of with JB. I think we need to solve the left tackle position. Uh, I think that's what we're probably pitching for in the first round. So I think there's a lot that are going to be available. Uh, there's a... A guy from Texas, Samuel Cosme, that we seem to be really high on. Really good athlete, massive guy, just needs a bit of work. So arguably he might be the guy we go for because we're not picking particularly high. But, you know, if there's Elijah Vera Tucker or Christian Darisor there, then I think we'd happily take any of those. Um, so I, I would expect that we go tackle first round and then pick up you know some wide receivers and some skill players further down the line as well as a cornerback. But I think there's value in rounds two and three. Yeah. 
Uh, I think quarterbacks are going to be in pretty high demand. What do you think? I mean, uh, are we oversimplifying this, Phil? But we've talked about cornerback being a relative weakness for the otherwise star-studded Bucks. Do you think it's um, CB or safety they go for in the draft? I don't Maybe know now, now, to be honest. I think if you ask me, it's, it definitely won't be a safety. I don't think we've got a need at safety. You know, Anton Winfield Jr. coming in from last year's draft has been an absolute home run. You know, a, a real steal to get him as low as we did. And then I think supported by... Jordan Whitehead and Mike Edwards, you know, who both had big roles in, in different playoff games. We're talking about what players you need, Phil, not what players you have. This is well, no, that's what, that's what a, I'm saying. an appreciation <laughs> post. Pin, Pinion gets a mention in a second, doesn't he? You know, it's, it's only a matter of time before Rally Pinion comes up. Rob mentioned safety. I'm explaining why not. But I don't know, cornerback, if you'd asked me at the end of the regular season, do we, do we need to improve our cornerbacks? I'd have said yes. But then they, they really showed up in the playoffs. And I think it made a big difference, you know, when Vita Vea came back and our pass rush became a lot more prominent, you know, quarterbacks had less time to throw. Ultimately, our cornerbacks looked a lot better. So, but to be honest, I think the Bucks will just take the best player available. I think they'll have everybody graded and they'll see what's kind of tossed up there. And if there's a, you know, a quarterback that they particularly like that they, they think can sit behind Brady for a year or two and learn, they might take a quarterback. I don't see them taking a running back. Now they've got, um, you know, Leonard Fournette signed again behind Rojo. So I, I don't know. I think it'll either be O-line an edge, or an edge rusher for me. But best player available. And, and I think if you look at Jason Light's drafts over the last few years, you know, Vita Vea, Devin White, Antoine Winfield, um, Tristan Wirfs in the first round last year, you know, he, he had some great successes. So I trust him. But I could see us trading down, you know. I, I don't think there's a particular need and if we can get a bit more draft capital, if there's someone there that a team, you know, are concerned about not landing at their pick, I could see us trading back down from, from 32. Yeah, trading down I'm, from the basement of the draft. <laughs> well, I, I think I think Phil's got a point because I think of of all of of all 32 teams. Yeah, I think the the Bucks are in that very small club of being able to take the best player available, whatever that position may be, because they are not necessarily superstar strong everywhere but they are still strong everywhere so if uh, you know their favorite cornerback is available at 32 take him if their favorite tackle is available at 32 take him if their favorite wide receiver or tight end is available take him i think that's that's just the position they're in it's a position we'd all love our, our own clubs to be in and I'll tell you what, I'll round out then by saying I'd love the Cardinals to get pits. I think we probably need, you know, a tight end. We certainly don't need wide receivers, which is a pity because there's there's such a, a talented draft class of them. Um, but I could see us going, I don't know, it's so predictable with Peterson going, but maybe Horn at cornerback if he's still, you know, one of the top cornerbacks would be would be lovely. Um, but then I'm expecting big things out of Isaiah Simmons. It didn't really happen last year, did it? But him fitting in as safety linebacker, you know, this this Swiss army knife defensive player we were promised, you know, m- maybe the Cardinals have got plans that that maybe mean it isn't as much of a need as it might appear. But you know what, gentlemen? Um, it was an amazing um, display of how to break down the NFL draft and inform our wonderful listening audience of all the prospects. But guys, um, as long as I don't, you know, fall ill again and let you all down horribly, um, the plan is we'll be back in a few days to do it all again, shall we not? But yeah, another good week, gents. See you all again in seven days. Stay safe. Thank you.
subscribe and be cool tell your friends There are loads. There's it. loads of podcasts of everything. And put it this way, we're making a podcast. <laughs> so. We're making a podcast. Period of silence. Phil will stop eating and then we'll chat, yeah? Last one. Shame, really. Not not good at this period of silence stuff, are we? Could eat more. Have you met Phil? I'll pop myself on mute. Oh, my God. I'm just, I'm literally, I was... Oh. Deportivo.